Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. If you want to turn there, if you've got a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I'm going to read it in a moment and it will come up on the screen as well. Uh, what's the purpose of the new series? Why are we doing a series in Philippians? That would be good to think about to start with, wouldn't it? Um, the book's written by Paul. Um, Paul's on a, a bit of a journey himself, a journey actually that he's coming to the end of. Um, he's soon after he writes this book going to be martyred um, for his faith. He's writing it from prison, probably in Rome. Um, he's probably been there about five years or so. He's been hoping to advance the gospel elsewhere and hoping to get out and preach the gospel in other places. And uh, it's really striking, isn't it? You know, think the kind of conditions he would have been writing this in and Roman guards, probably chained to his prison guard. And disappointed, perhaps, that he's not advancing the gospel in the way that he'd hoped. Plans aren't turning out as he expected. Um, prison life's pretty rough. Um, you know, there's no kind of, you know, mattress and TV for your own room. Um, what's his mood like? And the whole book is just full of joy. <laughs> it's not how you'd expect his mood to be, but it is. It's just full of joy. Um, he's got joy on the journey as he comes to the end of it. And we're all on a journey, aren't we, of following Jesus until we arrive home with him. A unique journey for all of us where the Father has called us uh, to follow Jesus. We've all got our own unique calling, the way he's spoken to us and um, interrupted our lives. And that journey involves ups and downs, doesn't it, along the way. There's bumps in the road and all sorts. And we want to live it well. Anybody want to live the Christian life well? Yeah? A few of us. Great. We want to live it well, don't we? We want to enjoy the Lord, enjoy his fullness of life. And we want to start the journey off well. We want to remain on it well, and we want to finish it well. I wonder how, well, I guess the first question to ask is, have you started the Christian life? Have you started following Jesus? And if you have started the Christian life, have you started it well? How's it going? Are you going on well, continuing on with the Lord well? Maybe you're coming to the end of life. Are you finishing well, because you don't drift into the Christian life, do you? You don't just kind of like wander your way into it. It starts, continues, and ends at the cross where Jesus gave up his life for us. And so in response, we lay down our lives for him. We're joined with him, and we know his newness of life through his resurrection. That's what baptisms are about. It's about a new birth. It's about a start of a new journey with him. It's possible, isn't it, to start off the Christian life not, not so well. It's possible to have a bit of a, an abnormal birth, if you like, and to get off to a bit of a false start where you don't quite trust Jesus with the whole of your life and give him absolutely everything. And an abnormal birth can lead to an unhealthy life. It matters how well you start in the Christian life. It matters how you go on. And it matters how you finish. So really, throughout the whole series, how's your journey with the Lord going? How's it going? We want us to know the joy of the Lord as we follow him. You want to know the joy of the Lord? Yeah? We hope this series will help us know the joy of the Lord as we follow him. Um, So let's have a look at the passage. Philippians 1, verses 1 to 11. Uh, Paul and Timothy, uh, Timothy's kind of 
helping to write the letter, although mostly it's Paul. Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. With the overseers and deacons, uh, overseers means elders, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent <coughs> Excuse me, and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I read this story in uh, this book, actually. I recommend this. Um, if you're looking for a book to read along this series, uh, this has actually got Galatians to Colossians in it, but obviously Philippians is in there. It's a great kind of little commentary um, f- for everyday folks, really accessible, lots of great stories and quotes um, written by Phil Moore. It's part of the Straight to the Heart series. Really fantastic. If you're just looking for something with short, snappy chapters to get to grips with the book of Philippians, that's uh, well worth getting hold of, and he tells this story in it, this Naval Academy story, uh, where this Navy officer was visiting the cadets, and he was asking them, um, what would you do do if a storm blew up? And this young cadet answered, I'd lower the anchor. And he said, well, what if if that anchor breaks and another storm blows up? He says, well, uh, you know, throw another anchor over, sir. He says, well, what if, if that one breaks and another storm blows up and he says well blow another anchor sir and he says where where are you getting all these anchors from boy and he says same place you're getting all these storms from sir (laughs) (laughs) well that was pretty funny and the journey journey of following jesus through life is like that it can get stormy at times it's a bumpy ride so how do we start remain and finish it well and we're going to look at today at five anchors that will help us have confidence um, in, uh, that will kind of bring about a joy. So five anchors that will help us live the life of following Jesus with joy. And the first one is to be confident in our identity. You see, Paul reminds the Philippians of their identity first in verse 1, that they're in Christ Jesus, that they're saints, he says. that uh, He reminds them of, that they're slaves and servants of Christ Jesus. You imagine his mood could have been, you know, get me out of here, wasting my time here in prison. I could be getting on with what I'm meant to be doing, what I've been commissioned to do. I could be advancing the gospel, and yet Paul's mood is constantly joyful. Why? Because he has in mind his identity all the time. And you read Paul's letters, this constant phrase of, in Christ Jesus. But what does Paul mean? by in Christ Jesus. Well, if you imagine that this is kind of your life or my life, um, 
what he's talking about is our life being wrapped up in Christ. That we're hid, our lives are hid with Christ in God. That's what Paul says. Uh, We live in Christ. So if Christ lives the perfect life, we live it with him. He dies the death for sin, we die it with him. He's buried, we're buried with him. He's raised to new life, we're raised with him. He ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and we are there with him, seated in the heavenly places. Our lives are in Christ. Our identities are not determined by the things that we choose for ourselves. We don't go and construct our identity. Our identity is decided for us. Our identity is ultimately in Christ Jesus. We're united to him, surrounded by him, united with him. Our life is hid with him. He's near to us. We're not alone. We belong to him. And we're saints. We're saints. What does that mean? It doesn't mean we're dead and did something marvelous a few hundred years ago. What Paul's talking about is that we are set apart, chosen for him, chosen for a purpose. Um, He calls himself a slave or a servant of Christ. He humbly understands that he deserves nothing from God. God owes him nothing. And so when circumstances aren't quite as he had hoped, he doesn't blame God out of a sense of entitlement. He doesn't deserve anything. God doesn't owe him anything. And so that frees him to ride life circumstances. And he enjoys grace and peace from the Father and from the Lord Jesus, which he extends to the Philippians in the opening verse. What's the result? Well, Phil Moore writes in in this book, he says, Paul is more aware of who he is in Jesus than he is of all the disappointments along the way. That's good, I think, isn't it? Paul is more aware of who he is in Jesus than who he, than all, he is of all the disappointments along the way. Are you focused on your identity in Christ more than your life circumstances? Because it will help you ride the bumps in life. It means that Paul's living in the moment because the moment matters, doesn't it? He's not kind of wishing and hoping for what might happen in a few years. He's living for the now. And we'll find out in the next passage that that means he's been witnessing to the guards and his situation and the gospel is becoming known throughout the whole imperial guard in Rome because of his imprisonment. He's taking, off, he's taking the opportunities that are available to him in his circumstance in the moment because he's first and foremost aware that he's in Christ. So he's not ruled by his circumstances He's not overwhelmed by them, not discouraged by the unexpected and the interruptions in life. He's not ruled by his feelings and emotions and preferences. He's not ruled by his own kind of sense of identity that he constructs for himself, like we often do in our culture. He's first and foremost in Christ Jesus. And uh, Phil Moore goes on to say this, it's difficult to be miserable when you remember that you're sitting at the right hand of God the Father. (laughs) If you're in Christ, you're in the heavenly places, seated at the right hand of God. It's a difficult place to be miserable, isn't it? (laughs) So, are there conditions of life, are there circumstances of your life ruling your heart? Or are you first and foremost aware that you're in Christ Jesus, you're a saint, you're a servant or slave of Christ? You don't need to live in your circumstances because you can live 
in Christ Jesus. That's the first anchor, confident in our identity in Christ brings us joy. The second anchor is that we're confident in partnership. Where does Paul's confidence come from? Uh, His joy come from? I thank my God, verse 3, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. Partnership. His joy comes from his partnership with the Philippians. What kind of partnership is that? It's often translated fellowship. We've got that in our name, haven't we? New Life Christian Fellowship. That means we're partners together in the gospel. It speaks of deep, special friendship in the gospel. Fellowship, being really joined together at the heart for a common purpose. That's what fellowship means, partnership in the gospel means. Joined together at the heart, the very core of who we are. Our common purpose to make disciples of all nations who get baptised and are taught how to follow Jesus and obey him and live life for him. What a source of joy. It's a friendship letter, this, isn't it? As we read it, huge amounts of affection is abounding in joy. Why? Because they're partners, they're friends in the gospel. Why is it a source of joy? Well, the first thing is, we all need encouragement, don't we? The Philippian church are facing opposition from outside the church and conflict within it. Paul's in prison himself and trying to preach the gospel. We need encouragement, don't we? All of us are going through different situations and circumstances and we need friends and partners in the gospel, don't we, to cheer us on, to kind of encourage us and get us going, to help us get through difficult times, to spur us on. We all feel flat at times, don't we, and not really much up for it. We need people to go, come on, cheer us on, encourage one another. Secondly, we we just need one another. Because this gospel is for the whole of Philippi, it's for the whole of Beckles, Halesworth, Bungie, and the villages around it. In fact, it's for the nations. And so we need one another, don't we? Another great partnership. Do any of us love Ben and Jerry's ice cream? Apparently, I didn't know this until recently, Ben is apparently, uh, doesn't have, or didn't have, I don't quite know whether how long ago it was, but anyway, Ben apparently doesn't have a great sense of taste or smell. Um, and yet, yeah, him and Jerry made this fantastic ice cream. And you know the trademark chunks of chocolate? That came about because Ben couldn't taste them very well, so they thought they'd put in chunks, and he'd know he'd hit a piece of chocolate. And we need each other's gifts and our gaps, don't we? We need each other's strengths and our weaknesses. Um, we each have things that we're great at and uh, that we struggle more with. But there's huge power when we work together, when the cogs on the table fit together and work with one another, oiled by the Holy Spirit. It brings huge power in our witness here in the Waveney Valley. Why else does it bring joy? Because it, it meets practical needs, doesn't it? As we care for one another and have all things in common. Um, Paul's needs are being met by the Philippian church. A friend, Epaphroditus, has come from Philippi to meet Paul's needs in prison because he didn't get given meals and stuff. They needed to be brought from outside. So Epaphroditus has brought a gift from the Philippians, an expression of their love and friendship and partnership with him, has said, here, let us meet your practical needs. The Philippians did it wonderfully um, 
in Acts when they helped contribute towards the gift to the Jerusalem believers who were experiencing poverty. They, it says, um, I think in 2 Corinthians, that they gave generously into that. We need to meet each, on, each other's practical needs. Why else is it a source of joy? Because it's enjoyable doing it with others. Listen to this, verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loves people. It comes through in the letter, doesn't it? He loves people. He loves serving with them. He loves being on mission with them. He loves following Jesus with them. Because it makes, like we sang in, I think it was the first song, it makes life no longer about you, doesn't it? It's not me, myself and I. We're serving with others. If we focus on ourselves too much, it can actually steal our joy, can't it? You know the whole uh, narcissist, the story of narcissist, looks in the um, river and he sees his own reflection, kind of absorbed by it, steals his joy, doesn't it? Self-obsession, the kind of obsession with our own plans and priorities can steal our joy, but doing it with others, being on mission with them, being partners and friends in the gospel can do us good. And final one, it's essential. Why is it a source of joy? It's a source of joy because it's essential. At the essence and heart of the gospel is restoring relationships. Restoring our relationship with God and restoring relationships between people. And so the result of the gospel is that the gospel is embodied by the church. It actually can be experienced. The gospel is experienced in God's people. And there's a big difference between knowing something intellectually, knowing the gospel, and experiencing the gospel. A bit like, for example, water. You can know the molecular structure of H2O, can't you? But that's very different to enjoying a drink or going swimming like we'll do later with the kids. You experience the water, you come into a fuller understanding of what water is. Better than you did, really, when you understood the intellectual molecular structure of H2O. And that's what happens in a church when people experience the gospel in the church, they come to a fuller understanding of the gospel. Grace is just not something you intellectually know about. It's something you can see and experience in the life of God's people. So how can we gain joy, gain joy in our partnership in the gospel? That's why, but how can we uh, gain joy? Now, partnership in the gospel with each other and with other churches. Well, here's, a, here's seven. I'm just going to punch them out. One, we can cheer each other on. Two, we can build strong friendships with one another, deep friendships where we're open to one another, where we're vulnerable with each other, where we don't keep one another at arm's distance and arm's length. Because ultimately, we're family before we're co-workers. We're not colleagues. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Three, we help others out with what they're doing. Maybe somebody's serving in a particular area or witnessing in an area. We help one another out with it. We can, four, invite others in to serve. Maybe you're leading an area of church life. You want to invite others to help you serve in that way. Five, we can make space by not doing it all ourselves, but drawing others in and making space for them to join in the joy of serving together. Six, we can dream 
dreams together and share them with one another. God set this on my heart. I'd really love to see this happen. And seven, we can pray into it together. Pray for one another. Pray for our mission together. That's why we're persistent in gathering together on Wednesdays. We've got Mondays on Zoom if you're free as well, 11 till 11.30, praying into the mission together, sharing it together, doing it as partners in the gospel. There was a motto at the beginning of the New Frontiers movement that said this, we can do more together than we can apart. That's true, isn't it? We can do more together on mission than we can apart. The third anchor is being confident in the gospel of Jesus. <coughs> That's Paul's third reason for remaining joyful on his journey. He's confident in the gospel. And it's the basis of their partnership together, isn't it? It's the basis. They're not, they're not friends because they live in the same area. They're not friends because they met once upon a time and had some memorable moments together. They're not, they're not friends because they like the same food or the same activities. The basis of their partnership is the gospel. That's what brings us together, isn't it? You think, it would, we probably wouldn't normally meet together, would we? Unless it were for the gospel. That's the church. We've experienced the grace of God, Paul says in verse 1. The grace of God. That's Paul's kind of summary for God's activity, that all we've received from God, reconciliation, forgiveness and reconciliation, redemption and transformation, newness and fullness of life. None of it's been deserved. None of it's been achieved. All of it is the grace of God towards us. And what's the result of God's grace towards us all? The benefit of the grace of God, which is the peace of God, both now and in the present, uh, now in the present and eternally in the future. We're at peace with God, so we have the peace of God. How have we received this then? If it's not of our own doing, how did we receive the grace and peace of God? It's come to us, Paul says, from God the Father, made effective in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. That in his sonship, in his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, it's all become our own because God the Father has given us it through Jesus Christ. And as we live by grace through faith alone, those things become our own and we receive the grace of God. This is our common experience, isn't it? This is what has drawn us together. We've experienced the grace of God and now we know the peace of God. This is what draws us together. It's what drew the church together in Philippi. You can read the story of how they got together. It's an amazing story of how that church got planted. Um, This is their team. This is their church planting team. Lydia, who's a a a respected, reputable businesswoman who sells purple cloth. She's kind of probably quite fairly high up in society in Philippi. Um, She meets down by the river with a group of women to pray. They're God-fearing women. Paul goes down to the river, shares the gospel. She's baptized. Believes and is baptized. On the way there, they meet this slave girl. She's owned by someone. And she's demonized. She's 
delivered from it by one word command from Paul, telling it to come out. She's delivered. Because of that incident, Paul, (laughs) and I think it's Silas with him, get into trouble with the authorities, and they're put in prison. In prison, an earthquake happens, the doors fling open, Paul says, no, let's stay here. The jailer arrives with the doors open thinking, I'm going to lose my life, I'm in trouble here, I need to take my own, I don't want somebody else doing it for me. And then he sees the prisoners there, and Paul shares the gospel with him, he believes, and him and his household are baptised. Now, that's not a choice. I mean, you wouldn't put that church plant team together, would you, normally? (laughs) You wouldn't. But they've got a common experience, the grace of God in their lives, and they've experienced now the peace of God, and it's the thing that draws them together. So what we need to do to keep joyful on the journey is constantly remind ourselves of the grace of God, to enjoy Jesus himself together. John Piper says this, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So if we enjoy Jesus, if we find joy in him, then we'll feel a sense of partnership together because that's the thing that's drawn us to one another. That's how God has called us together. And just to say that these two anchors of partnership in the gospel work together like dynamite. They're a potent mix. When they're oiled by the Holy Spirit, when all the cogs are together from the table, put together well, (coughs) when there's this potent mix of love for Jesus and love for others, it brings the power of God into the church. A bit like, you know, when you see two flints being struck together, and when they strike, the sparks fly, don't they? And there's power and energy released. Well, when there's love for Jesus and there's love for one another and they kind of strike and there's this potent mix, it releases the power of God into the church and into the community. Deeper worship and enjoyment of Jesus leads to deeper friendship and partnership in the gospel, which leads to a deeper witness, which brings greater joy confident in the gospel of Jesus. The fourth anchor in the passage is this, confident in God's faithfulness. That brings us joy on the journey. It's how the Philippi church came into being, the miraculous intervention of a faithful God. Paul was confident that what God had started in the Philippians, he would bring to completion. And he expected fruit. Why did he? Because the start of the Christian life for these Philippians was no flash-in-the-pan experience that would fade. Because God is both the beginner and the finisher of salvation. Actually, if you think about it, how we're saved affects how we go on living out our salvation. I wonder how you think you were saved. What are the things that contributed towards your becoming a Christian? Why do you think you started following Jesus? Because if you think it was people cared for me, they showed me the love of God, then the chances are that you'll live out your salvation by caring for others in the hope that it will bring them to the Lord. Perhaps you listened to a great preach once. Somebody just preached the gospel and it was like, bang! 
and you think, well, if I just keep sharing great preachers with people, they'll come to follow Jesus. Maybe I'll send them the best preachers and the best preaching. Or maybe it was a worship experience that arrested you. You met God in a moment of worship and it turned your life around. Then maybe you'll be seeking and creating that kind of numinous worship experience and longing for it. And those things aren't bad. They're good ways to serve, aren't they? But actually, if you understand the truth that you're a Christian, that you're saved, that you started following Jesus because of the faithfulness of God and his miraculous intervention in your life, then your focus and your hope will be in him. The other stuff's great to do, really important to do, isn't it? And it can be part of the journey, but ultimately the reason we started following Jesus was the faithfulness of God. And that's where our hope is, as we partner in the gospel together. And if we understand that, then verse 11, the fruit will produce, will be fruit of righteousness, of right living. So, I wonder, how do you think you became a Christian? It was because of God's faithfulness. Put your trust, focus and hope in him and bear fruit for the glory and praise of God. To do that, we need to constantly remind ourselves that what God has started in us and in the others of us in the church, those that we're involved with, what God has started, he will finish. God's faithful, isn't he? What he starts, he will finish. And we need to remember that Jesus is going to return, that we're people of the future. We're citizens of heaven. The dynamic of the Christian life is that the future kingdom has begun now in the present. The newness of life that's in the kingdom to come has now begun in us, in our hearts, hasn't it? As Jesus has reborn us, yeah? Rebirthed us, that would be a better way of putting it, wouldn't it? Has rebirthed us, has brought us to life. And so we remind ourselves constantly, we're people of the future, we're citizens of heaven, we're on a journey home that's begun now in the present. And we need to remind ourselves that God is faithful to how he began. He will bring it to completion and finish it. And the the final anchor, just briefly, is Paul is confident in the love of Jesus, and this brings him joy. Verse 8, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul expresses his love for all people, even the difficult people in the church. As we'll come to find out in chapter 4, there are some tricky people in this church who are disagreeing with one another. They've been gossiping. There's a bit of kind of conflict. They're not speaking well of one another. And it's potentially divisive in the church. Um, Euodia and Syntyche. And Paul says, I love, I love you all. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Even the difficult people. How? With the love of Christ Jesus. The supernatural love of Jesus has filled him by the Holy Spirit so he can express it to all, regardless of how difficult they might be. Paul knows that his old self is dead. He's been clothed with the, his new self is clothed with the Spirit, filling him with Jesus' love for all people. 
however he finds them. So, just to come back to the first question, how is your journey with the Lord going? Are you struggling to ride the bumps on the road? Struggling to ride the ups and downs? If you want to keep yourself anchored and be on a joyful journey, just remind yourself of your identity in Christ. Absorb yourself in partnership and friendship for the gospel. Trust in God's faithfulness. And hold on to Jesus' love for everyone. If the band want to come back, we're going to um, respond in worship by singing All I Once Held Dear. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the line in this song, probably a favourite of many of us, um, it goes like this. Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy and my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. I just want to focus on one of these anchors now as we respond in worship. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. It's probably the most important anchor of the lot. When we find our joy in God and enjoy Jesus Christ for ourselves, that kind of makes all the difference to the journey, and it makes all the difference to our mission. So shall we stand and just enjoy Jesus now and just declare together that knowing Jesus is just the greatest thing. Shall we do that? Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that we find ourselves in you. We find ourselves in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we know you, that you're near to us. You're not distant from us, but you're our friend We belong to you. We're part of your family. There is no greater thing, Lord Jesus, than knowing you. You're our joy. You're our joy, Lord. You're the one that we live life for. You're the one that brings life to to colour. You're the one who brings us happiness. You're the one who lifts our spirits. You're the one who takes our eyes off ourselves. You're the one who gives us somebody to live for. It's your glory and praise, Lord Jesus, that we live for. Lord, help us find our joy in you. Help satisfy the deepest desires of our heart with nothing else other than Jesus Christ. Lord, help us, fill us with your spirit so that we're satisfied in you to the glory and praise of God. Amen.